0: Welcome to the Vacation Effect Podcast, where we discuss time and lifestyle hacks for the busy entrepreneur, helping you grow your business even faster by working less and having
1: a lot more fun. Now, here's your host, Denise Gosnell. Hi there. Welcome back to the Vacation Effect Podcast. This is your host, Denise Gosnell. And today I am really excited to have my friend, Garrett Gunderson, with us to talk about wealth and relationship hacks. Garrett is an entrepreneur, financial advocate, and founder of Wealth Factory, Garrett brings energy and excitement to debunking the many widely accepted myths and fabrications that undermine the prosperity and joy of millions of business owners. We're going to be talking about what those fabrications and myths are in today's show. Garrett is the New York Times best-selling author of Killing Sacred Cows and What Would the Rockefellers Do? He also just released a brand new book called Budgeting Sucks, which you can learn more about at BudgetingSucks.com. Garrett has appeared on TV shows including ABC's Good Money, Your World with Neil Cavuto on Fox, and CNBC's Squawk on the Street, and his firm was named to the Inc. 500. Garrett has appeared on stage next to guests like the Dalai Lama, Sir Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, F.W. Clercq, Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, Damon John, and many others. Most importantly, Garrett makes personal finance for entrepreneurs simple, immediately actionable, and even enjoyable. You're really going to love all the wealth and relationship hacks that Garrett and I are going to cover today. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show, Garrett.
0: Denise, you know, I wanted to for multiple reasons. One of them being that you've always been an advocate for me to start doing licensing. And I'd be like, ah, I, don't know, I don't know how to do it. You're like, just here's some ideas. Here's some connections. keep. And, you know, I just had a call with someone that's going to be a major licensee of ours. Um, I just licensed to another financial person last month. And, uh, you know, done licensing deals back in the day with companies like Rich Dad or um, Amazing.com. And you know, some of them I fumbled a little bit. Uh, you know, some of them were, were crushed it with. But I really owe a lot to you for being an advocate that way and keeping me on the forefront of it.
1: Thank you so much for that. Well, you know, it's it's funny because when I see somebody that's got such great wisdom like you do, and you're sitting on a gold mine of wisdom, I want to help get it out to the world. So thank you for that little kudo, though. I'm really glad to have watched you do really cool things with that over the years. And I'd love to set the stage. So Garrett, I was trying to remember, did you and I, we met through Genius Network, didn't we? That We've met, we've been yeah, at different we've events been in, together. We've
0: seen each other at Maverick and right. spoken there. We've definitely met at Genius Network, I think, a decade ago. Yeah, it's been
1: almost, yeah, at least, yeah, probably a decade. But yeah, it's been cool watching us both evolve over the years. And, you know, I've had the privilege of attending um, Garrett's workshops, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And just um, watching Garrett go through some, you know, personal relationship transformations, which we're also going to talk about because, you know, Garrett, you're right now you're focused on your company Wealth Factory. Is that your main company that you're working that you're the CEO or that you're the founder of right now? I think you may have stepped out as CEO to let someone else run it but what's yeah, the yeah so, with
0: that. so wealth labs is my speaking and consulting company so i have put together a one-man show to help shift the context of money and finance in an entertaining way um but i also give speeches with that company i do one day immersions and then ripwater is my licensing company so i actually create content for companies like wealth factory or um you know these this uh, guy scott ford another guy scott jared and you know like i'm building out content for them for their for they're up to um, and then wealth factory is our program where we help entrepreneurs to get their financial house in order become economically independent and when they do that be able to swing for the fences and everything that they're doing so they can have more quality of life along the way so those are the three main initiatives and companies that I work with they actually have a lot of like working together and, and collaboration overall um, but yeah wealth factory is the one that's most known
1: Okay, cool. Well, I'd love to start with talking about some of those topics, you know, gr- yeah. uh, wealth hacks, because, you know, you are one of the most knowledgeable people I know on this topic. And I know that you've even had to optimize your own um, knowledge in that area. I, you I know, you were telling me before how you took two months off and lived in Italy with your family. I think it was 2017, 2018. Yeah. Um, they, they, I assume that you had to work through some kinks, or, or at least most people do, to work things out in order to be able to pull that off. Can we start there and talk a little bit more about? what you did there and what rose to the top?
0: The first time I said that I wanted to do that versus us doing that was just under a five-year process. So I spoke the words, right? That's kind of the first step, which you're like, "Ah, how would I take two months off? You know, it was a little bit more than two months and I only worked five half days over that two months of time. Now that didn't include some mornings I would write because my family would be asleep and it's a really cool villa that we were at and felt inspired to write, but that didn't feel like work. It just felt like something that I was called to do. Um, so only five half days now, I spoke that then it became about delegation So so really the four-step process to get there was first collaboration So collaboration was if I'm not there what needs to happen? So I had to collaborate more with the marketing team to create initiatives I had to collaborate and we and, and I just kind of said All right, what can we do and they actually ran with it? They built this financial blueprint program they sold for a hundred bucks and it generated leads, and they did a lot of it online and in our database. So I wasn't out on the road speaking, and they made those things happen. The second thing was, what could I eliminate? So what things were, were was that I was caught up in because I was too busy or getting into these activities that weren't leading to enough results? So was it programs that we offered? Was it um, things that I was doing on a daily basis? So I eliminated some of those things that created space. Then the third thing was true delegation. And true delegation is giving someone a role, R-O-L-E, that they can own. So it's not a task that they come back to you afterwards and ask what to do next. They and they come to you, and then the fourth was co creation. So what can we co create to create more sustainable wealth? And so we built we built more recurring revenue type of models versus upfront one time fee type of models over that five years. They created a foundation. We built a really amazing framework for the event that you came to. And they actually hosted one of those while I was gone. Okay. So there were those kind of factors came up when I had that process. And then, you know, because we had this deadline, we booked the flights, we had the villa. It really started to be about being really strategic about what I was going to do, which came down to five things. One is where could I be a leader to catalyze the vision for the company and to support the people to be the best version of who they are. That has nothing to do with management and everything to do with, with connection. The second thing is what could I do to build quality relationships because quality relationships are what lead to us hiring more people and the right people to getting advocates that refer us like, you know, the, like someone like was one of those types of relationships. And then, you know, I learned from those relationships. And then the other three activities, because I limited it to five, was I either had to be writing and creating content through writing, or I had to be speaking and doing it from stage, or being on video. And if it was anything outside of those five things, I stopped doing it altogether, which allowed everybody else on the team to step up to figure things out, not to be as reliant upon me. Therefore, I'm not a bottleneck anymore. And that created the space to be able to travel and have a couple months with only a few days of work.
1: Yeah that's that's a great recap of that Garrett and you know I I don't know if I told you but you know Jake and I celebrated our 25th anniversary this past July and we spent a month in Congrats. Europe our, ourselves thank you and it was a similar thing it's so interesting because I really want to dig into this because I know so many people who keep saying someday maybe when I have more time or I have more money I'm going to I'm going to do this but what the heck is stopping you it's like the mad, the overarching magic of what you just talked about is a lot of what I cover in the, the vacation effect program on this whole forced hyper efficiency notion, where if you limit the amount of time that you're going to allow yourself to spend, it forces you to focus on what, what really matters. Right. And then, by, like you said, like by saying, you know, I'm not going to be there. So what am I going to have to do to remove myself from the equation? And it helped you focus on who did you need to delegate to? What did you need to stop doing and all those other things right. so that you could pull it off?
0: It's Um, so hard, Denise, to like not get caught up in the trap that the more time we spend on something, that the more money we're going to make. Like that's a really hard, because it it feels like it should be related. And it might be during the initial liftoff periods, but it might be the very block to get to the next level. And so sometimes the more time we spend, the more reliant people become on us, the less powerful that they are, the, the more ends up on our plate, the more exhausted we are, the more exhausted we are, the less we get done. And so it's, it, it's something that took a while for me to wrap my mind around and to really initiate in my life. But I remember Bab Smith from strategic coach, saying you've got to take more time off. And so I took off, I don't know how many more days. I mean, I went from pretty much almost no days a year, mad if Christmas was happening, because I couldn't work um, to taking off, you know, uh, 78 days, I think, and making 170,000 more dollars that next year is like, what? Because I If you gotta treat yourself as your greatest asset. Mm
1: -hmm. And when you have
0: good self-care, then you show up the best version of who you are. And if you're doing things that are creative, for example, if you exhaust yourself by pushing, you end up harming your health, you end up stifling your creativity. And ultimately, there's diminishing marginal productivity where you're spending more time but getting less results. So so I find, you know, having my phone done by five at the latest six o'clock, you know, having it retired, not having my computer in a place where I have access to it once I'm home. You know, I've actually moved uh, just this week that I'm starting my days officially at 10 a.m. Now I get up and I work out and I make some lattes for, you know, me and my wife. And I do, uh, you know, some right now I'm doing celery juice that she wants us on. So I'm doing that for <laughs> her and me and the kids in the morning. And I write a little bit in my five minute journal and I get some meditation in and then I can take my kids to school and then I come home and have my coffee with my wife, and then get started at 10 o'clock. Now, in the past, I would have been so stressed about that. Like, I should start at 5 a.m. and just Mm -hmm. charge ahead no matter what, right? So, by doing that, now when I'm writing, I've, I've had this fulfillment, this enjoyment, this quality of life, and I can now show up And in a shorter window, actually get more done because I'm not rushed. I don't have, you know, guilt or shame because I haven't done other things like take care of myself or my family. So I've found that works for me a lot better. And, uh, you know, I think everybody has to find their own methodology. And I would also say there's just times and seasons where you work and hustle like crazy. When I'm writing a book and there's deadlines, I might spend extended time and even work on the weekends, you know, maybe go up to my cabin and be isolated. But then there's other times where I'm taking weeks at a time off. I'm taking my son to Asia. It's going to be over three weeks. And I'll write while I'm there, but I'm not doing any meetings. I'm just spending time bonding with him and focusing on building a legacy because I'm investing time. And there's no substitute for that one-on-one quality time with an individual.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and what you just said there, there are uh, several things there that you just said that I want to emphasize for the listeners that is just so key. So what Garrett was talking about there. That is contradictory to what is human nature for us to think is that he made an extra 170k when he took more time off. And that's exactly what what happened to me as well. Like when I stumbled onto this whole working less and uh, that you could actually use it as the fuel to make more money because your head is more clear and you're more strategic and working on the right things. So That is the biggest um, pushback that I get from potential clients that, Denise, I can't afford to take more time off. I'm in growth mode. And it's like, okay, but you're thinking about it all wrong. Like, if you can learn how to get as much done in three days as you used to in six, is there anything to feel guilty about? And isn't that a better way of doing it? What would you say to that to the person that says, Garrett, I can't take more time off. I'm in growth mode. What would you say to that?
0: Well, growth creates messes. Mm -hmm. And if you stick to you being involved in all the messes, then you're constantly engaged in the drama the details and that and 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 so i go back to my formula collaboration is key Mm -hmm. elimination is next you know then it's about delegation then it's about co-creation and as soon as we think that we have to be the ones there we have to do it all or we give ourselves such a short time frame and then that creates a lot of stress pressure and you know basically leaves everybody else without any you know, engagement with us because there's no time for them. Now we got to go in the future and clean up all the damage that we've done by not taking care of other things. So I think that I get that notion, but I think it's not about the, I don't, I don't think it's about effort and about more time. I think it's about being extraordinarily strategic, mm-hmm. being a lot more strategic. And I think the reason people aren't is because we have perfectionism as a plague in society. And when we're mm-hmm. trying to make things perfect, we overdo we spend too much time on something that's just a small detail that doesn't matter that much. We end up overbuilding something and we spend all this extra time and at the same time, the rest of our life suffers because of that perfectionism. And I think sometimes before I was in Italy, for sure, I viewed myself and my business as the same thing. And anytime, anytime there's negative feedback about my business, I took that as a personal attack. I got super frustrated. I'd lose sleep. I'd get you know all these kind of emotions. And the reality was, you know what, I'm not my business. Business is a series of imperfections. And I've just been relentless and ferocious about making sure if we ever let someone down, that we actually build a stronger relationship and double down on the value that we can provide. And I let people that refer us know those same things so that we're not under the constant stress and stress in the background of like, is everything exactly how it needs to be? And I I love books like you know, the lean startup that talk about a minimum viable product. And I like the thought of the Pareto principle of doing the 20% that makes 80% of the difference. And I like the thought of, you know, Win Then Play, the book that I wrote that'll be coming out in 2021, which is how do you profit up front so you're not building something that nobody even wanted in the first place and you've got cash up front so you can start hiring people so you don't have to do everything yourself. There is a different way, which just when we don't think and when we get in the societal traps, we just rush into working before thinking. We don't have enough vision. We have too much activity. We think that more equals better. And that is absolutely not the case.
1: Yeah, that is so true what you just said, that more does not equal better. And that's something that I think you cover when you, you know, when you work with clients and you help them learn how to scale without being so corporate. Is that part of what you teach them there, that more is not better?
0: Well, look, what is the definition of scale? Like I had this epiphany recently. Like I used to think, well, is this a big enough stage? are these people, do they have enough money for my time? You know, and, and what I, I just got really clear is like, Hey, when I'm talking to a human being, I, I know that they have this question in the background, like, am I worth your time or am I okay? Or am I lovable? Or they have something like that. Right. We all have these like uncertainties, even if they're buried deep. And so I've just decided like my mantra is your time is worth my time. And that all human beings come from the same place. And even if they've got, you know, issues and problems and they're financially broke. Like I can literally just sit with them with love and compassion, listen to their story. And then if I can sit through the pain when they're sharing those difficulties that are raw, that allow you to really connect as human beings, that's what's on the other side is connection. So for me, when I was thinking about scale, it was constantly like, is this big enough? Is this important enough? Is this, you know, and then I had uh, disappointment all the time because I made everything about my agenda, and so for me, I like to scale back from the things I don't love doing, from spending too much time, you know, enamored in my business, and now really look at scale as what I can do in life, so I do the things that I really want to do that I feel fully engaged in, that I never want to retire from. And I don't want to switch over to being corporate because I think most of our clients at Well Factory don't either. They don't want to get to a point where it's all just about numbers, that it's, you don't even know who works there anymore, and that there is no customer intimacy because it's more about how do we keep things moving along in the most corporate fashion, and I don't think a lot of people want to sell out to be that. There's a few, but not many, and so when they get caught up in thinking that they are their revenue and they've got to have more revenue, there's people with more revenue And less profit, because there's more problems, there's more chaos, there's more moving pieces, there's more complexity, they're dealing more with hiring and firing and issues and embezzlement. And so I think we got to get clear about what do we want? Is it always the biggest? For some, maybe their vision is so big that it requires that. But for others, maybe it's just because that's what they think they need to do in order to be valued by society. But what if we just got clear about what success was to us? What if we defined the game, we created the game instead of playing in a losing game? That's the that's the paradigm shift. Yeah, and that's a great. I don't mean to yell here, I just get excited. No, I noticed like okay. I've been <laughs> emphasizing stuff at the end, like yes, already you know, like but anyway, I just yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's awesome though, because it's so true. Like, you know, I, I used to want to build, you know, these huge companies, and I, you know, in my law firm and my real estate company, my coaching and training company, it's like having all these team members, and I'm like, you know what? I'm happy just being a seven-figure entrepreneur with no employees or one employee. Like I've got like lots of contractors that are regular, you know, contractors that they can do, they can work with other people too. And they're not busy with me. And it's like, it's a win-win I'm good to them. They're good to me. And it's like, I'm happy with that. Like I'm happy without having the complexities of a huge team. Now I have like 14 people across my three companies that I work with, but I can scale up or down as I want to. Where I don't have to, right. have to stress over a huge seven figure overhead. If I don't want it, I used to have that and I don't want that anymore. So, but some people do and there's nothing wrong with that. So I think right. that's great. But, but so.
0: Get clear about what you want. Right. Because I think a lot of people, they just want more because they feel like they're in the comparison game. They think that business is like sports with winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And the person with the highest score wins, but it's not, you know, money's not like sports either, even though there, there isn't even a finite amount because they're constantly putting more on computer screens and printing more. But ultimately there's an infinite number of times that money can exchange hands. So I think we've been confused that life is a zero sum game winner take all everyone else is a loser. But the reality is that that blocks collaboration and co-creation and deli- like the very formula that gets you a lot further. So, so <laughs> I, I think that we've just been trained that if we have more than anyone else we know, and if we're perfect, that's what's going to connect us to people. But it's the exact opposite. Those people that try to be perfect, uh, you know, they just seem douchey. They're no fun. Like, I feel like sometimes the flaws and the, and the quirks are what really connect us a lot of times. And I do comedy. It's always about the imperfection. That's where the funny is. Not in like, hey, I've got it all figured out. Look at me, you know, so, so there's a lot on that.
1: Oh, absolutely! And you, by the way, Garrett is incredibly funny. He could—you could have a second career as a stand-up comic. I mean, you're hilarious.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm being—you uh, know—I have a comedic agent that I got after the last time we saw. Two days oh,
1: really? Later, uh, cool. Each
0: other. And so, um, and the one-man show that I'm doing—that really is this contextual shift from selfishness and poverty and scarcity thinking into more value-focused and uh, you know how. How they're really going to get to a place of fulfillment? It it has four characters. There's funny in it. I'll do a moment of stand up comedy in the middle of it. Um, I actually sing, and at the end, my six foot three, uncoordinated in high school ass is going to dance <laughs> to show freedom. How about that?
1: That's great.
0: Well, no choreograph. No, I'm not going to let anyone you know teach me how to do it. You're just going to see the rawness of what freedom looks like.
1: That I look forward to hearing about that, man. When you get that ready, I want to see it.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I, I loved watching you roast Yannick at Camp Maverick. That was so fun. Oh my God. That was and, one of
0: my favorites. Yeah. Like, roasting and, is so fun. And I was nervous because I have this uh this guy, Marcus, who's, a, who's an amazing comedian. I do a lot of my writing with him. Like I'll come up with the concepts, but then we then we kind of like work on it and formulate the funny so I don't have to, you know, do that on stage. And I was supposed to meet with him, but didn't I wasn't able to, so I had to write the thing with Yannick without any testing, right? No feedback, like, is this funny? Is it good? So I was a little nervous, but man, that really landed well, and Yannick is an easy target.
1: Oh, it was hilarious. He did it, in a, in a, in a, and you have to realize, Garrett looks like Jesus, so like what, what Jesus is portrayed in illustrations, too, so that made like, it even like more you, hilarious. Like United
0: States Jesus, not <laughs> yeah, uni- Jesus, yeah, sorry. Right? I'm like, United I'm like States U.S. Jesus, Jesus for sure. Yeah. Seven.
1: Yeah. But in what you see in the portraits of, you know, the last supper and all that stuff. So that was, that made it even funnier. So anyway, well, I'm looking forward to that, but the point is have fun, right? That's what we're saying to listeners. Like, don't be so uptight about freaking scaling your business all the time. If you're not having fun, right?
0: Right. And and look, I know we want to provide, I know we want to impact the people that we serve, but I just think that if we do that with the notion of sacrifice, See, there's, there's a lot of notion that the only way to get ahead is to sacrifice. So sacrifice time with family, sacrifice health, sacrifice, you, you know, all this. And you'll hear it from some of the most amazing athletes that have definitely done that because they really, to be world-class and the world's best, you know, yeah, they spend less time. You know, there is a cost to that. That's real. Um, but the reality is in business we don't quite have to do that because we're not the ones holding the ball we can delegate we can hire out like it's it, so it's funny how we take the analogy of sports and then bastardize it for everything else but i also feel that if you if you choose the right business and the right work in your business the win is in the work not just in the outcome and the trophy the win is that you're enjoying the process along the way and the space in between and if you don't then and you're trading your life for something that isn't fulfilling, you're not gonna one day wake up, flip the switch, and be like, that was all worth it. No, you're gonna be like, you're gonna lose a sense of who you are. You're gonna lose a sense of excitement. And it's not that we get to do passionate work every moment. I mean, there's the details, there's the minutia, there's the hiring, there's the firing, there's difficult conversations, there's things that go according to plan. But the question is, is it worth it? Is it something that overall is fulfilling and meaningful and creates the right impact So that it's something that you really want to do on an ongoing basis.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, you, I'm sure in what you do with your clients as a wealth architect, that you see a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of mistakes. So if you had to pick the biggest mistake that you see your clients, if we want to call it mistake, but that's, you know, the the Mm -hmm. biggest thing that people, you help them fix or address, what would that be when you're, when you work with your clients?
0: I feel like we're really good at making personal finance personal. Mm -hmm. So truly listening to them to find out what they really want and asking the questions that nobody's asked them or they haven't asked themselves, right? And then bridging the gap of getting their financial house in order to support that now rather than 30 years from now.
1: Gotcha. So the mistake is they haven't even gotten clear with themselves on what they really want.
0: Yeah, a lot of times they know what they don't want. I don't want debt. I don't want, you know, I don't want to work so hard that I'm stressed all the time. There's like all these kind of don't wants. And then there's the do wants, which are usually societal accolades. Um, but a lot of people check all the boxes and they get there and like, hmm, why am I not happier? And it's even worse then because now they're really frustrated and, and it's late, you know, it's late in the game and they're like, crap, what am I going to do? So,
1: right. well, is that, is that the biggest opportunity that you think they haven't, most of your clients haven't tapped yet? Or what would that biggest opportunity be that, that when they come to you, you help them, you know, recognize it?
0: Well, the first thing that we do is we, you know, we find them money because mm-hmm. I find when they don't feel stressed and when we've saved them a bunch of tax, saved them a bunch on interest, saved them a bunch on non performing investment fees, saved them on duplicate coverages or costs with insurance. If we plug the leaks and create efficiency, that improved cash flow gets them to dream a little bit again, gets them to feel a little bit more confident, gets them to feel a little bit less stressed. It's seed capital for their business, it's seed capital for their liquidity and safety. It's immediate momentum and they feel like some hope that they can tackle their finances because people, it requires courage to face their finances. And a lot of people have tried to face it just to find out someone wants them to fund a retirement plan that doesn't help them out today. Or like if they would have met me when I was 19 years old, I'd have been selling them mutual funds and life insurance, which might not have been the right thing for them, but that was the only way that I got paid. Right. So, so you see there's like a, an agenda that they, they follow a lot of times that may or may not be the right agenda for them. And if they don't have their own personal philosophy around money or their own personal plan of where they want to go, someone else is going to sell them theirs. And so I feel like finance has become overly transactional and it's relied and been predicated upon accumulation, which accumulation is we're going to set money aside and hope that, you know, these are the notions. It takes money to make money, which is what people who want your money say. Two, high risk equals high return, which high risk equals a higher chance of loss, but people think it's going to get a high return. And three is, the best things come to those who wait. So they're taught that if they wait for 30 years, it's all going to pay off, but there's a 95% failure rate. 95% of the time at age 65, Americans are not economically independent. So if they stop working, they don't have enough money to, cons- to continue the same lifestyle. So it's a faulty system of money times rate times time. I believe in efficiency, velocity, and expansion. You expand your means, not shrink, right? No one shrinks their way to wealth. You plug the leaks so you have more money. You don't go coupon, clip, and budget. And you velocitize, which means focus on cash flow rather than on accumulation. And those three things are very fundamental to Wealth Factory and how we help people.
1: Cool. That's such a powerful way. And I know what you were just talking about is part of what you call it. Do you, do you still call it the investor DNA, helping each you know person yes. identify their investor DNA? Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Like how, how, like my investor DNA might be different than somebody else's. Like I invest a lot, my husband and I in real estate and whole life insurance policies. We're not in the stock market very deep at all. Like we've, we've chosen our vehicles. That's what, you know, makes us tick. We invest in our own companies, So that's, is that an example of my investor DNA? Did I say that correctly?
0: Yeah, you did great. So investor DNA is your core values. The values are the things that you want to pay attention to that are important to you, right? Then it's your core drivers, the things that you get excited about, the things that you want to talk about, you want to learn about, then it's your core abilities because yeah, you could be excited and interested, but at the same time, if you don't know anything about it, it's pretty risky. And then you focus on those things because risk is in the investor, not the investment. So how do you become a better investor? What's well, your investor DNA? You invest in what you know. And if you don't know where to invest, you sit in cash or cash values like you mentioned until you learn what to do or tell the right opportunity comes your way. Because rookie investors always stay invested. They invest early, often, and always. But pros sit on the sidelines and capitalize when there's economic turmoil, distressed sellers, or major opportunities. Most people, opportunities pass them by because they don't have liquidity. They don't have any access to cash. You have cash values. If you find the right real estate deal, you could pounce on it probably tomorrow, regardless of if you needed to go get money from a bank. You could always get that later. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And refinance it, borrow the money from my whole life policy and then go refinance it after I own it. Totally. So, do that a lot. So, yeah, it's interesting. So, the investor DNA then, so each investor has their own DNA and you help them, you know, figure out what that is. But whether yeah. you guys work with Garrett or not, the idea here is the same. It's like he's saying, if I understand you correctly, Garrett, you got to first figure out what you really want. And then once you know what you really want, you got to identify, you know, what is my investor DNA and yep. should I be investing in my own company? Should I be investing in other companies? How should I be putting the resources that I'm I'm earning so that I'll have something so that I'm not part of that 95% who has to work in retirement? Did I get that statistic right? I think you said
0: 90, 95%. Yep. 95% are not economically independent. So yes, we want to get really clear about what you want. Number two, create automated infrastructure to capture the savings when we go through and create efficiency so that you're building wealth and it doesn't just get spent or lost, right? Then when you get a certain amount of liquidity, we like to see three months in a savings checking type of account. Then you can start funding the cash value when we want to see at least six months between your cash value and your savings before you really consider investing. But the first place to consider an investing is maybe into your business, into the right people, processes, or technological procedures, because the less reliant your business is on you, and the more cash flow you create, the more equity there is for the future, when they have enough excess there, then you might look at, well, what types of investments make sense for you? Maybe it's you're an acquisition entrepreneur and you buy businesses you already know or understand that you can monetize. Maybe you're a real estate investor like Denise, because it's something you know how to handle and what to do there. Maybe it's like me, an intellectual property, where I'm creating it or I'm buying businesses that support my existing business. But I used to invest in oil and gas, IPOs, hard money lending fund that I owned and that I invested in over 100 rental properties and the list goes on and it just became a distraction. And most entrepreneurs and most people can't discern a distraction from opportunity because all distractions are seductive, they're sexy, they sound good. But if you can say no to more of those things so you reserve it for only the things perfectly aligned with your investor DNA, you become more strategic you preserve your time. You make sure that you're doing things that you really know about so you know when to be out or what you can do to protect the downside. And as a more informed investor, you become a better investor. So, I mean, that seems self-evident, but the reality is most people don't. They go, "I'll diversify. Well, why do you diversify? Because I don't know what's gonna work and what's not gonna work, so I'm gonna limit my upside so I can protect my downside, but the reality is there's more things that can go wrong there and most people diversify instead of diversify. I believe focus, but protect, right? Focus and watch it like a hawk, like what Andrew Carnegie said, Mm -hmm. and then you get real growth. You diversify when you're in preservation mode, not when you're in growth mode.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, and so, you know, I know that you also have a lot of experience with, you know, the idea of family offices, and you've talked mm-hmm. about that in your programs. And I interviewed Jim Do recently, as I was telling you, and yeah. he and I did a lot of a great conversation about, you know, family offices and what they are. So listeners can go listen to that episode for the details in the trenches on what a family office is. How does your team um, you know, help serve entrepreneurs. Um, I think you serve a different audience, a lot in some cases, than what Jim does. Like, I'd yep. love for you to give that comparison because listeners may have just listened to that, which was also a great interview, just like this one is. So. Yeah,
0: Jim and I have had some mutual clients. Um, he also attended uh, someone that was looking to work with us. He attended a workshop that we hosted, the same one that you went to, um, and then we we sat down and spoke, and uh, he ended up just taking care of the client because he was doing a great job with them um i've actually referred a few clients to him uh because he's got the ability to handle some situations that are a little bit more hands-on higher maintenance um more doing less coaching we were in the coaching side um and so so i know jim fairly well i think i'm speaking accurately when i say he likes to work with people with a million dollars or more whether that's a million in investable assets whether that's a million in revenue there's some million dollar number there we actually two-thirds of our clients do 100,000 net income to a million of revenue. So lower than that. And we've created a pretty amazing program called Wealth Architecture. We've got this guy, uh, Tim Card, and another guy, Garrick Reeves, that are just phenomenal at taking those people through a process, getting them a a family office. So we've built a network where we've got attorneys, accountants, investment advisors, cash flow specialists, risk managers. They'll do a webinar, and then the people can actually meet with them one-on-one after that to help implement everything if it's something that they don't have handled. But they also get one-on-one attention from Tim and from Reeves, and that really helps them to design the plan. Because it's a hybrid of some individual and some group where Jim is a lot more hands-on, it's pretty affordable for those people that are below his, you know, who Jim would normally work with.
1: Right. And to clarify, you know, Jim has a financial, um, he's a financial advisor and has all those certifications. And your agency is not a financial um, advisor agency. You guys are consultants, right?
0: Where yeah, I am. I'm not, I, you know, I, I passed my RIA and Mm -hmm. I had a series six and 63 back in the day, but I, it's not really my gig. There's a lot of financial advisors. He has a family office or virtual family office, just like we do, Mm -hmm. but he actually has more designations than I do. Um, I'm more of a speaker author, you know, even though he's written a book. So he actually still is very involved in the, in, in, you know, even doing some of the advising, even though I've talked to some of his team that are really good as well. So we have some parallels and we have some differences. They do assets under management. We don't, Um, you know, they know a lot of the strategies I've been on the phone with uh, some of his clients with him Well, one being Joe that we know in common. And, you know, um, so we know a lot of the same strategies and, and the same insights. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had clients that work with them. So the the distinction for us is we dive in really deep into wealth engineering, which is more on the self-discovery personal development side. We actually had a sole purpose workshop last week where Demi, who's one of our coaches, I mean, I think everybody in the room cried, but she's really helping them overcome whatever obstacles prevent them from the next level of production. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if Jim has that kind of thing. I know that that's something that we really pride ourselves in that's extraordinarily unique. But at the same time he's more hands-on. So a lot of entrepreneurs like that. They that they do a lot more of the work where we might consult on the work and help them make the decisions, but do less of the heavy lifting than Jim would.
1: Right. Well, that's what I love about you guys. Cause I've worked with both of you. Like, yeah. you know, so what I wanted to clarify for listeners is, you know, whether you guys, you know, reach out to Jim Dew's team or Garrett's team or, you know, your own team, these are the kinds of questions that you want to be asking when you Hire wealth consultants and financial advisors, and like the kind of stuff that that Garrett and I are talking about here today, and that I talked about with Jim. This is this this is the way that you keep wealth and protect it. You earn it, you keep it, and you have it when you need it. And that's what really matters. Whether you work with these guys or somebody else, I don't care. Just please do it for yourself and your family. That's the real message here, right, Garrett?
0: Yeah, I mean we you know yeah. we we have a capacity issue, so you hear me being pretty pro Jim do. I mean, I've just watched him do a great job for Joe over the years, you know, how right. he did in the genius network room and really is taken care of some people, you know. Um, so, so I have no problem there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're not at that million dollar level, I feel like, you know, look, we didn't start at the million dollar level. We started higher for a lot of years. We were, you had to be at least a million, but what we found is we were turning away a lot more people than we were taking on. And we were limited to 125 people a year. We quadrupled the number of people we could take on with our new program. It took us four and a half years to develop, and it, the results are ridiculous. They're phenomenal. I mean, I think it's a bargain. You know, oh, it's, it's,
1: yeah. your two-day workshop is phenomenal. I would highly encourage listeners to check out your um, two-day workshop that you talk about on WealthFactory.com because, like, I learned I learned more about investing and investor DNA and like um, just what it takes to. Build wealth and keep it in the future. Like, and I've studied a lot of stuff. I used to have my Series Six and Sixty Three license. I used to have an insurance license and a mortgage broker license and every kind of license you can imagine because I want to know what the people that I'm paying know so that I know whether they're ripping me off or not, right? <laughs> so, right. like, I wanted to know that stuff. But I learned so much from your your two day workshop. So, whether somebody is a million dollar company or even greater, your workshop is incredible and people can bring their. You know, I don't know what the ticket is, but bring your spouse too. It's like it's a great. Yeah, we say spouse. To you can bring any, any instrumental person on your
0: money. financial team too.
1: Right, so it's phenomenal. So yeah, but I wanted to touch on if we um, have that opportunity, the whole relationship story. You you have a really powerful um, relationship story about how you've transformed what you. um, Oh, well, I'll let you characterize it. Would you mind sharing that with me? A relationship hack of the story that you've told before about with your wife and you mean how I used to be
0: a selfish prick and didn't (laughs) know what I had. I wasn't going to say that my life away, and (laughs) and my wife somehow stood by and and you know. Help, help me see the see that there was more to life than just working twenty four seven.
1: Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. What happened there, and what did you do about it? And where is your life now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, damn. Like, <laughs> well, this is where my life's at right now. I just like I'm having an amazing day because my wife just texted me. You know, uh, like we just sat there. I I was almost late for this because you know she just told me I love you um, so much for all that you are. You are an amazing man, you know, and we were revisiting some of this bullshit from 2008 and 2009 and how I operated. She goes, humans make mistakes and then they learn. And, you know, like, it was just there were some things that I don't feel like we ever fully dealt with. And I just want to give an opportunity for her to let me know, like, what the impact was on her. I mean, there's an impact when she's when we have our son and he's not thriving. He's hooked up to stuff at the hospital. I leave for work while he's still there. She doesn't even see him that day because she's still recovering. That's how out of touch with love and family and connection to be something in society. Damn, you know, like, like, that's crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so we have a weekly meeting and we I created a vision for my marriage to be an extraordinary husband and a premier romantic. And, um, you know, we, we do date nights every week. We had one last night, we have another one tonight just because it's one of our friend's birthdays. So two nights in a row, which is pretty awesome. We're going to our cabin this weekend. You know, we're, she's she's going to write, my, we're writing a memoir together where we're going to write letters to our kids and it's going to be our legacy book that actually helps people with their legacy as well. So we're heading out to Tucker's class with Scribe for that later this month. Um, you know, her and I have been doing some podcasts together. Like I just realized she's been my unsung hero. She's been my advocate. She's been my shine the mirror up to, or, you know, put the mirror in front of me so I could see my bullshit and I get all the credit. But the reality is I'm just a, a, another hardworking asshole if it wasn't for having that femininity and that that subtle power and that intuition and that belief in me that I could actually be better than I was at that time and you know it's been pretty extraordinary to put her first in 2012 I let her know she was more important than anything and by showing that it was so rich and rewarding better than anything I'd ever experienced in business and the good news is it's not an either or I've had great accolades and success and and moments in business and she's been the one that cheers me on. I just gave a TEDx talk, got a standing ovation. I I called her and I was like this and we just shared the moment. She's like I should have flown out. I'm like I know but we got kids you know. I'm like it it all but I was like so excited to celebrate with her. I got a standing ovation for my one-man show practice last Friday. She's the first person I called because I was so excited. It's like awesome to celebrate and you know what? I've just opened up all that I am. I've shared all my secrets. I've shown my heart and everything and every imperfection and she chose me still and there's nothing that can compete with that Denise there's nothing i found
1: That's incredible and you know i remember you talking about there was like a a pivot point moment in your life when you know you you guys were having a discussion about how she would rate you as a husband and you you know, do you mind sharing that? And then I want to tie it back to what you just said. I have a where I'm going with this. I have a point. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. She, you know, like I, my business partners died in 06. And so I was up at 5am and I was not back by the time my son was asleep and she was asleep some of the time. So I I put on 25 pounds and I wasn't seeing them at all. And I was just exhausted. And we were finally having a day off because it was Thanksgiving and we're driving down to have Thanksgiving dinner with my family two hours away. And she just told me I was extraordinary at radio and speaking and business. But then she looked back at my one-year-old son in the back seat and looked back at me and she said, but really an ordinary husband and father. Yeah, so that hurt, but it was right. And that was a pivotal moment for us. That was a pivotal moment for me because there was no arguing that. It was just accurate, you know, and pretty amazing that she said it candidly.
1: Yeah, I mean, what an amazing wife. So I want to know, how do you take that and use that as fuel to put her first. And what does it mean to put her first? Cause like we all think we put our family first. It's like, but what does that really mean? How did you go from, you know, um, what she called average to extraordinary?
0: I called up three couples that I knew had extraordinary relationships. And I said, I would love to spend time with you guys. Can we all get together? I want to ask about your best practices and how you got through challenges and have you mentor me? And I'd love from Carrie to be able to talk to your spouses and figure out from them perspective, because we were at a point where I couldn't just like on a dime be like, okay, I've changed. She's like, you know, cause maybe that only lasts for a week or two weeks or a month. And then it goes mm-hmm. back to old habits. So absolutely something different. So I could say, let's put each other first. And she'd be like, we got kids. Somebody needs to take care of them because you're not stepping up. Right. So, um, so we met with them and, and she was willing to try things on, like put each other first means let's get some support. Let's have someone that can watch the kids so we can do a date night. Let's make sure that um, we don't just do, you know, have the kids at every whim and go do everything for them, spend 24-7 with them. Let's take some trips, just us, right? Um, let's do date night. Let's have a meeting where the kids aren't around. And that meeting, we'll talk about the kids so that when we're having a romantic moment, we're not letting the kids disrupt that because it's hard when they're young. They're romance and sleep terrorists. They're cute, but they're those two things. So, mm-hmm. so for us, you know, that's what that looked like. And then we just created a framework that started to work for us. And so wealthfactory.com forward slash marriage. I have a talk I did at Genius Network, at Mastermind Talks. I have interviews with my wife and I with John Butcher of Lifebook and Dino Watt, who was a coach that we hired with the, the business of marriage. And we have like our agenda up there. And we, you know, Joe Polish shared this with a bunch of people and a bunch of people are getting phenomenal results. So that's how I ended up talking about it. It wasn't my normal talk. It was just how I was operating in my life. And oh my God, you know, that was up and down from like 2008 to 2010, I, I just felt like a failure because I, you know, I had had all these accolades and my business had done nothing but grow. And all of a sudden it was started to have trouble and it started to create cash flow constraints. And now all of a sudden I was borrowing money instead of depositing money. It just became like, I felt like a failure and, you know, I was spending time away from my family. So they were stressed out and I wasn't paying them the money that they were used to. And then, you know, it's starting to impact my mom because I had bought a house that now I had to sell that that my mom and dad were, were living in. So it's just like, I just started to really hate myself and not value myself. And because of that, I was a selfish asshole. I didn't love or show expression of love to my wife because you can't love other people when you don't love yourself. And when you feel like you are your business or you feel like you are your mistakes or you feel like, you know, all these kind of things, then those types of narratives and stories start to push those people away because you you don't want, them to know how shitty you are you know and so it created a numbness and coming out of that was up and down it was difficult i remember breaking down crying in front of her and she just didn't even comfort me that was one of the more painful moments of my life i went and looked in the mirror i'm like is this it are we over we were best friends this has been the only one i ever loved how do we get to this point right Mm -hmm. and fortunately she was willing to get, go through it and get to the other side. And, you know, I, like we talked about it last week, like she really kind of had some hatred for me, you know, and I understand why now that I see the error in my ways at the time, I'm just doing the best I knew under really extremely stressful circumstances.
1: Well, and what you just, and thank you for sharing that Garrett. And what you said is so important because I think it takes us back full circle to where we started with how you took the two months in Italy and how you've transformed your life in your relationships. So you know, it's like how you had to you had to go through that, you know, in order to have the fuel to figure out a better way. But knowing what you know now, what would you go back in time and tell that version of yourself that was working all the time and not, not you know, not spending the time with your wife and your family? What would you go back and tell that person that felt burdened and stressed and guilty about working all the time? Would you still say, Dude, it's not the answer. Focus on your family first. The rest of it'll work its way out. Yeah, there might be some ups and downs, but that's what really matters. What I would tell
0: myself is perfectionism is a plague. Mm -hmm. Nobody expects perfectionism. They Mm -hmm. expect love and communication. And the and the reality is they love you in all of your glory and in all your imperfections. And then and you know, it wasn't about just the life I could provide every moment. It was about showing up and just giving them who I was regardless of the money because you are not your money even when you have money and you are not your accolades even though you have accolades. So this is the people that I could be safest with to show my scars and I was trying to hide them out of embarrassment, out of personal judgment. And so my message would have been like, hey, you're an arrogant prick if you think other people are going to love you more than you love yourself. And two, they've proven out you can trust your heart with them. I and mean, that they'll help you through this. You don't have to go it alone.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, that's just incredible nuggets there. Is there anything else I should have asked you that you think listeners would, it's one of your ninja secrets that you've been holding back on me, anything you can think of on business growth or relationship or time hacks? I mean, you've shared so many great ones already.
0: Yeah, I got a lot of time hacks, got business growth, <laughs> like all those kind of things. I mean, There's so many of them, I just say, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe, it's free. And I put out five videos a week on everything from, you know, like beyond time management, there's a system I use called, what am I doing now? It lives in my calendar in the next two weeks in time and space, so I have an occasion for it. If I'm not doing it now, it's something I revisit daily or weekly to find out when it moves into the doing now or if it moves to the parking lot, which is, I don't know if this is gonna be a good idea, I have no bandwidth for it, so I'm putting that off and I just revisit that monthly or the never doing, and I just eliminate it from my life. And by doing that, I have full permission to brainstorm, have a boatload of ideas, but I never take on more than five in any given quarter. And then beyond that, I've totally changed my timeframes of everything because it's just about expression. And, and I at least have economic independence, so I don't feel forced to make a dollar any day. And that's allowed me to create a, have a lot more creativity. So um, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of on the time side of things. Um, on the financial side, man, I got so much around tax. But I'll just say, you know, rent your house out to yourself 14 days a year to your business. It's tax deductible to the business, and then you don't have to pay taxes on it personally. So host a, you know, something for your employees, uh, film something for your business, host something for vendors, for clients, and enjoy yourself at the same time. Have it paid for, and then a lot more with those write-offs.
1: That's great. Yeah, and. Is that covered in your new book that I understand just came out? Budgeting yes, sucks.
0: Budgeting sucks. I've got oh, <laughs> how to pay yourself first in an automated way. How to save on all these things that plug the leaks, and then mindful cash management versus budgeting, and you know uh, how to build the right family office and how that process works so that you have a team because you know the game's kind of won when the team's picked, and a lot of people are missing players on the team. So,
1: great. Well, so sounds like the best resources um, that you've talked about so far are budgetingsucks.com, your new book. Is that the right website for that? If people want to download the book and, um, you know, get some, I know you mentioned there's a lot of freebies that go with it.
0: Yep. I don't even know what all the bonuses are because it's so fresh right now. And we've done a lot. Like I know I just saw the quick start guide yesterday. So there's a quick start guide plus the book. Plus I did the audio book, which I almost never do that till a year after, but this is coming out simultaneously.
1: Oh, sweet. I'm looking forward to checking that out. And you mentioned your YouTube channel. What do they need to search on to find your YouTube channel? And I'll put this in the show notes. once. Yeah, if, you you're in a,
0: if you're in the internet browser, Garrett.live will take you there. If you're on YouTube, just type Garrett Gunderson. So one of the two.
1: Okay. Got Garrett.live. And then also wealthfactory.com is another great resource, right? Is that your yeah. main, main company website? Yep. So um, Garrett, it has been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, now I'm going to go do what we talked about and go pick up my son from school. So thanks so much.
1: Awesome. Thank you for joining me. And remember, everyone, freedom is a mindset, not a destination. Until next time.
0: Thanks so much for listening. For more information about The Vacation Effect or for details on today's show, head over to our website at vacationeffect.com. If you enjoyed the
1: show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.